the end of the previous section, we said that in modern physics, particles can act like waves and waves sometimes behave like particles. It was Albert Einstein who showed in 1905 that the photoelectric effect can be understood by treating light waves as packets of energy that today we call photons. And in 1924, Louis de Broglie wanted to, as he put it, extend to all particles the coexistence of waves and particles. He did that by writing an expression for the wavelength of the matter wave associated with a particle of given momentum. The reason that it's critically important to know that wavelength is this. You can't begin to design an experiment to detect the wave behavior of a particle unless you have some idea of how big or small that wavelength might be. De Broglie gave us a way to determine that wavelength, and to understand how he did that, you should start with the relationship that Einstein derived between the energy and frequency or wavelength of a photon. We've written that relationship as equation 6.1, and it says that a photon's energy is proportional to its frequency, nu, and the constant of proportionality is h, which is Planck's constant. Since the frequency of a photon equals the speed of light c divided by the photon's wavelength lambda, this says that the photon's energy is inversely proportional to its wavelength. So short wavelength blue photons carry more energy than long wavelength red photons. And gamma ray photons carry much more energy than radio photons. Combining the energy wavelength relationship of equation 6.1 with the expression for the momentum of a photon p equals e over c shown in equation 6.2 leads to an equation for wavelength that says lambda is equal to h over p. De Broglie realized that the same relationship might apply to matter waves associated with objects of momentum p equals mv. You can see this relationship in equation 6.3. When you look at the equation lambda is equal to h over mv, it's important to remember that the value of the numerator in SI units has an exponent of 10 to the negative 34th power. That means that the denominator must also be incredibly tiny for the wavelength of a matter wave to be measurable. You can get a sense of these numbers by looking at the example of a human with mass of 75 kilograms moving at a speed of 1.5 meters per second. As we show in equation 6.4, the wavelength of the matter wave associated with this person is billions of times smaller than the diameter of a proton. So it's no wonder we don't observe the wave behavior of people walking down the street. But as you can see in the next example, an electron accelerated through a potential difference of 50 volts has a de Broglie wavelength of a few tenths of a nanometer, and that's comparable to the spacing between the atoms in a crystal. Why is that significant? Because one way to detect wave behavior is to scatter waves from a spatially periodic structure, like that of a crystal, and then to look for evidence of diffraction. So in 1927, Davison and Germer fired electrons at a crystal, and the scattered electrons did indeed show wave behavior by producing a diffraction pattern consistent with the wavelength predicted by de Broglie. The existence of matter waves can also be verified in experiments using the double slit shown in figure 6.4. As described in the text, when waves encounter such slits, the constructive and destructive interference between the waves passing through the left slit and the right slit produces a diffraction pattern of alternating light and dark fringes at the detector. If electrons behaved only as particles and had no wave characteristics, firing them at a double slit would produce the results shown in the left portion of figure 6.5, because each electron would pass through one slit or the other. But that doesn't happen. Instead, electrons produce a diffraction pattern consistent with waves of the de Broglie wavelength, as shown in the right portion of figure 6.5. 
This occurs not only when a continuous stream of electrons is directed at the slit, but also when the electrons are sent through one at a time. In that case, each electron forms a single point in a diffraction pattern that builds up over time, as the matter waves pass through both slits. We've attempted to summarize this wave-particle duality in the diagram of figure 6.6, which suggests that quantum mechanical objects travel like waves, but interact like particles. To understand the quantum mechanical model of particles as wave packets, you have to understand the Schrodinger equation and the interpretation of its solutions. Those are the topics of the next two sections of this chapter.